0: Welcome to another Mike Flanders podcast. Today we have Mike Kraske and uh, Mike has a long, long music business history and say hello to Mike. Hi Mike. Hi Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> eh? <laughs> so um, I met Mike several years ago through a mutual musician friend. Um, we've gone on to being friends and kicking around a lot of different balls. I've written uh, songs for artists that he's worked with and recorded singles and done all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, during the, um, you know, this whole podcasting evolvement, I've tried to now make it interesting for people to listen and understand that, you know, who we are, what we're attached to, how the business has changed, how it's developing and um it's interesting as you know you and i both are old enough to have sons and kids in business and i've watched my son and my kids now with you know how they're streaming and how they're listening and what's hot and what they're favoring and now i don't know if you've even come across this tiktok thing that they're you know i mean i'm like what is this <laughs> you know uh, and there's so many different um people that oh, don't do tiktok uh, um You know, it's funny now how you see um, the kids um, and their involvement in the phone in your hand and that is our format in a sense, isn't it? It is. You know, it's now I never thought after all these years that um, I would actually have an iPhone with my playlist and knowing how to add those songs, and now I've got all my favourite stuff. If I go for a walk or a jog and blah, 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 you know, back, you know, we, we, we came from records and, and cassettes. Uh, I never had those eight tracks. Then CDs, you know, and now in this digital world, you know, we were starting to, you know, I came from analogue tape to, um, you know, ADATs, to that obviously you know and i know radar was popular here in nashville i don't know if you ever worked on you know with in the studio where people were using radar but i believe it was popular here um we saw these sony digital machines to now pro tools and i don't know if you've seen what's happening with pro tools now universal audio are coming out with their own door and uh, so there's all this digital fighting over to the left um but anyway, I'm kind of getting off track a little bit. This, these advancements are just going crazy at the moment. And in our world, we're trying to, you know, provide our clients with, you know, some kind of service that is as professional as what we were used to. And we're trying to do it on a smaller budget. But in our minds, we are still where we used to be and we understand where the bar should be. I think that is the most difficult kind of place that it's put us in. Would you think? Uh,
1: I, I think so, and I, and I, I think it starts with uh, uh, the, the, how much the world has changed. Uh, the the world of, of the internet, the the world of of uh, of, of streaming and social media uh, platforms. Has uh, has done what I call the great democratization of music. Uh, there, there's an opportunity uh, for artists uh, to make a direct connection to consumers, where before. The, the only way to get to consumers w- were through uh, the primary gatekeepers. Uh, yeah. You needed to be signed to a label because uh, it was the way for you to uh, be able to amplify your message through uh, radio airplay that's predominantly controlled by the major labels. And the same with uh, with publicity. Uh, the, years ago, uh, the, you, you lived for the opportunity to be on Oprah. You lived for the opportunity to be on Leno now there are so many platforms where you can at least get your voice out uh the, the issue is how can you amplify your message in today's world uh through all the white noise uh with with this democratization has has, has uh has cr- has eliminated filters and, and, yeah. and that's a challenge Yeah. Uh, because uh, every, every aspiring artist uh, believes that they are good enough and, yeah. and they're not no. uh and 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 that that that's uh, the challenges for those fans of music. Uh, the 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 discovery process is more challenging, yes. I think, than it used to be.
0: I call it digital litter.
1: Well, and 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 that's a good that's a good way to, to really describe it uh, because there is a lot of that, uh, and it's not to diminish uh, or or or. Uh, indemnify uh, the, these artists who are chasing their dreams I applaud them all yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. but that's the challenge for us within the business uh, if you have an act that has decided uh, or has no choice but uh, to 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 set up their own cottage industry, at least yes. temporarily, because they have to be their own label. Yeah. Uh, w- when you're doing what I do, which is uh, management and artist development and and artist consulting, you have to wear an awful lot of hats, or yeah. help teach them to wear an awful yeah. lot of hats. Well, uh,
0: totally. Even as a producer, you know. Well, let's flip back. So, you know, my history <clears throat> coming into the corporate music world, you know, Warner Chapel was the first thing for me uh, where I started to understand the business. Um, And that was exactly the same where we, there was processes and you knew what the processes were. And as a writer, producer, I then developed artists that then you had, your only mission was to get them signed and there was no other way. We didn't think about indie labels back in the in the 90s, in the early 90s, you know, that started to, I suppose, what, um, you know, even what we classified, I suppose, as indies would have been, was it like Maverick or um, what was the huge label that came out of L.A.? Um, I'm trying to remember its name, but they were what we classified as indies, but they still had major distribution and That's right. they were plugged in, you know. Even uh, my BMG days, there was multiple labels under that umbrella that were technically indies, but they were co-ventures right? um, because they bought something to the table like Amazing Act and money and blah, 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 blah. Um, Interscope is what I was thinking. There you go. Would have have you classified Interscope as as an indie back then? It was, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, and and, and I, I, you know, it's it's always blurred lines. It's a gray area on, on what you define it because some of those indies, as you said, were plugged into majors. So that are are they really just a, 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 a piece shell. of a major, mm. or mm. are they indies on steroids? It it, yeah. it, it all varied. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing that has uh, primarily remained true uh, through all these years is innovation comes from outside the majors.
0: Yes. As a yeah. matter
1: of fact, uh, at, at, at one point in time, I had a conversation uh, with a senior executive in New York uh, uh, when I was at Sony, uh, and, and we had the conversation about innovation because I wanted to start an Americana label uh, in, at Sony Nashville, uh, and, and his premise was simply this. We don't have to do that because we let somebody else innovate, and then we buy it. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and that that's the truth of a lot of what happens with well, it, with the the major labels is, uh, it, and and I think what, what, what that means is there's always an importance to having uh, a healthy indie world uh, because that is yeah, yeah, where, the where musical ground. innovation mm-hmm. comes from. Mm-hmm. So, but Sony uh, <clears throat> is a
0: funny thing because I mean I don't know how many years you spent there, but we'll dive into that. But Matola once said, "I never have to really make a record if I don't want to." because they come across my desk every day and they were records. Right. You know, so, I mean, that was, it's a statement, isn't it? A true yeah. statement. So, so um, dive back to the listeners and let them know, you know, your, um, your history at Sony and maybe throw a, a good story in there, the, like a Dixie Chick story or something, because people love the realism of what people have done in their life, you know.
1: Well, I, uh, I, I'm a, a little older than you are, so I go back to A Tracks, actually. I, I started. Oh, I did too.
0: I started uh, on A Track Machines. I, I yeah, started yeah. Uh,
1: working in the music business in 1975, right, uh, yeah. while well, I, was, I still was still in still college. Yeah. Uh, and, and I worked as, as, as uh, an inventory clerk for CBS Records uh, at, uh, in the basement warehouse of a, a record chain called National Record Mart. Uh, and uh, and it was my job to uh, physically take inventories. This was before UPC codes. This was before scanning, uh, and and you just had to physically count yeah, right. every album and every A track. And uh, and and even when I first started, there were still a couple sections for Manoral records yeah, actually. Right. So I, I I I've seen all of the transitions in in consumption in in the modern era, uh, short of. I guess 78 RPMs. Yeah, I never yeah, sold yeah. any of those. No, no, uh, but, sold them. Uh, but Dad mm. uh, I, Th- I, had some. Mm-hmm. I, I I started as an inventory clerk and then became a uh, sales rep uh, while I went to school full time, uh, and, uh, uh, and and came to, to learn early on what what the important elements and processes are, uh, and I'll touch on this now simply because uh, even though so much has changed, some things remain true. Uh, and, and, th- and those are uh, the early lessons uh, that I took to heart. And it's simply that the process of becoming uh, a fan for an act starts with hearing a song yeah. and loving the song. Yeah. Uh, and that's still the case yeah, today. Without a doubt. Uh, but back then, what you did was you heard it on the radio and you went to your favorite record store and you bought a single. Yep. Uh, and, and, and then if you heard another song that you love by that artist, you bought another single, yep. then you buy the album, yep. uh, and, 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 and then you buy a ticket to a show, uh, yep. and, and that begins the process of becoming a fan. And that hasn't changed. No. Nope. It's just that the vehicles for the discovery process have changed immensely because it's all available, uh, 24 seven. Uh, and it's just a challenge to, to, uh, to go through the process to discover but because in our eras when we began you had top 40 radio and yeah. and, and you had uh, you had uh, American bandstand yeah. you, and yeah. <laughs> you know you had the Ed Sullivan show there there were very few vehicles uh, so so the whole world uh, engaged in the same discovery process yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. now a lot of those things uh, are are minimalized or, or, or have disappeared uh, yeah. and have been replaced by uh, a ton of different platforms. Uh, yeah. but, but back to my history, I, I ended up being a sales rep uh, uh, into the 80s uh, and, uh, uh, and then became a sales manager for CB, CBS Records, which became Sony. Uh, I moved in 1987 to Dallas, Texas and spent two years uh, being the sales manager for the Southwest region of the United States. Uh, and, and in that time, uh, we, we were very fortunate and broke a number of country acts out of our branch, uh, including Ricky Van Shelton and Shenandoah and Rodney Crowell. Mm. Uh, and uh, and that got the attention of Sony Nashville, and they invited me uh, to, to come to Nashville and be their VP of sales. And that's how I got here in 1989. Right. Uh, when I got here, uh, you know, it's a... One of those wistful moments where you look back and, and realize, geez, I wish I would have treasured that moment more because I came at a point uh, uh, in the crossroads of, of uh, Sony and Nashville because we still had Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and Tammy Wynette and George Jones, uh, Ricky Skaggs, all these brilliant, uh, historic figures uh, that were nearing the end of their era uh, with CBS and Sony. Uh, and uh, and and I wish I knew then what I knew now because I would have done so much more with yeah, them, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, from from 1989 to uh, uh, 2003, I worked at Sony Nashville, uh, eventually becoming the executive VP and general manager of uh, of the division, uh, and and had a just a, a blessing of a time uh, with the artists uh, with whom I had the opportunity to to work with them, acts like. Uh, uh, Dixie Chicks, uh, Montgomery Gentry, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Patty Loveless, Joe Diffie, Colin Ray, Doug Stone—all uh, uh, the platinum and multi-platinum successes uh, that that we all had together and, and and made a lot of history in that time.
0: So, who was the um, who was the the New York head <clears throat> back then? Was it that was Prematola, wasn't it?
1: Uh I uh, I am trying to remember. It was mostly my era there was mostly Matola. Oh really. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um It was uh, the
0: big tycoon Sony guy that they wrote the book of Howling, Howling at the Moon, what was his name? Um um Famous famous, famous guy
1: um, it'll come to me I'll yeah, blurt it out somewhere yeah, the, in yeah, in the process yeah, here but but yeah. i i uh, i i was uh, a uh cough. Walter yetnikoff walter Yetnikov, yes yeah. and 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 I'd been in his office a couple of times when I first started there, but uh it, my 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 time in being the liaison to new york uh as an executive in Nashville was very much more uh the tommy Matola yeah era. right right um uh, I, I, think, uh, I think people will find this a little bit in, uh, of interest. Uh, uh, Tommy's uh, number two guy uh, was more of a financial guy, but he was really, really smart. Uh, and, and I came to understand the culture of major labels uh, in one meeting with him because he came into Nashville uh, and all the senior executives were in the room. And he looked at all of us and said, anytime there's a failure uh, with one of the acts that's been signed here, it's somebody's fault here in this room uh, if uh, if, uh, if the action never been signed then it's the fault of the label head and the and the A&R staff if the music wasn't right it's the fault of the anr staff if the music was right and it didn't get played it's the fault of the promotion team uh, and if they got the airplay and the music was right and it didn't sell it w- it's the fault of marketing and sales so it's going to be somebody's fault in this room and I quickly realized that that defined the culture at major labels and created a situation where everyone was looking more to cover their butts than to uh, have a passion for the music and do everything they can to make it a success because they couldn't afford to have a failure put at their feet. Uh, you know, so so uh, the, as an example of how that breaks down and, 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 and creates a problem, you would have promotion uh, choosing singles that were the easiest to work up the charts instead of the, the song that would really drive people to, to, uh, the, to, to go and purchase uh, a single or, or, or a CD. Uh, at the time, the the, the songs that uh, speak to a consumer, you know, make them smile, make them think, make them cry. It, it speaks for them. Those songs were the last ones that would ever get released because uh, they were too challenging, uh, and, and and promotion didn't want to risk a failure. Uh, so, and that's where you ended up. Uh, and and it continues today. There there is there's a, a lemming kind of mindset that. Oh geez, so that label had success with that style of an act. I have to go find another one of those, mm. and and that's where you get uh, the assembly line mentality yeah, yeah. at the major labels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's why I I continue to, to point to the fact that innovation comes from the indies uh, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But for the, for that very reason.
0: Take it back to Meatloaf.
1: Um, I I think <laughs> a, 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 an, another great uh, uh, example of of why. Any aspiring artist should not be devastated when they're told no, uh, is a story I share with Little Big Town. Little Big Town was signed uh, at Sony uh, in, in the, the last years I was there, uh, and, uh, and uh, Little Big Town chose to work with uh, the head of A&R as our producer, not because he was the best fit, but because they wanted to ensure that they would be a priority at the label. Uh, and and what was created uh, was more of a pop concoction uh, than it was a, an album that was true to uh, the 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 uh, vision uh, that Little Big Town had for themselves. Uh, and because it was a pop concoction, everything that followed, so it would be consistent and congruent with the music, also came off like a pop concoction. And we spent over a million dollars on Little Big Town and. Uh, sold 15,000 units in the life of the record. Hmm. Fast forward a little bit uh, and uh, their manager came to me uh, and, and played me a few songs uh, uh, that blew my mind. They had found uh, the, their, their new producer, who, whose name is Wayne Kirkpatrick, Uh, and there was just this great, beautiful musical vibe. There was a really swampy song that just Mm -hmm. caught my ear, and and after four songs, I went, boy, they found it. This is awesome. So
0: So they took it to the
1: rest of the staff, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the head of A&R, who is no longer the producer, passed. Mm -hmm. So did the head of promotion because politically he didn't want to get on the other side of the head of A&R, and the president concurred, and they were dropped from the label. Was uh it, was
0: boondocks in that in that, well, one of those I'll, songs. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. get to that yeah.
1: uh, because uh, a few uh, a few weeks later, Little Big Town was dropped from the label, and a few months later, uh, Sony decided to make a clean sweep of the executive staff at Sony Nashville, myself mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after I left there a few weeks later, uh, I met with Clint Black and his business manager, uh, and his manager, and we agreed to, uh, build and create, uh, an artist-friendly label model, uh, called Equity Records. Uh, and, uh, and Clint, of course, was the, the first artist on the roster. Uh, but shortly after that, uh, little big town came to me with an album that was finished. Uh, and, and we, uh, we signed them uh, and we released uh, a, a song called Boondocks, mm-hmm. which was the same song I heard in my office at Sony. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and with the launch of that and uh, three other songs uh, that uh, were on that very same album that I heard all became top five hits. We sold a million and a half units uh, and it was the independent album of the year, all genres. And, and I share this story with you just to reinforce the fact that uh, it 's important that the artist maintains control of their own vision yeah. uh, the, and, and every everyone still needs to learn to stay in their own lane, yeah, the most important thing I learned in all those years was let the artist be the artist, yeah, uh, yeah. and if you believe in what they 're doing, then it 's your job to help them articulate that vision to the marketplace, uh, not to create the vision for them
0: yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, yeah, I heard that in uh I was not even moved to the United States. I was in Susan Berger's car because she was admin for Mushroom Music Australia. So she was one of my connections when I used to come over here before moving in the early 2000s. And we went out to meet a friend and she was to drop me back to the hotel and she said, have a listen to this song. And I'm no word of a lie. She played me that song. So, yeah, well, I suppose she was doing a lot of consulting and she was very friendly uh, with horses and blah, blah, blah with Tim Whipperman, Mm -hmm. who I'd known Tim from Warner Chapel. So by the time I'd got to Warner Chapel, Nashville, Tim had left, but I still had met him through other people and Dale Bobo was running the show. Ah, right. So, um, and they were signed... To Tim, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole development would have been going on, and people were sharing. And uh, I don't—I suppose she had a, a CD of, but that was the only song she had on the oh. CD. So I don't know how you know. Even though other stuff was recorded, they were obviously sharing that. Amongst industry people, at right? Because it was you know? uh, it was uh, the the, yeah.
1: the first single, so yeah. that was the first that uh, the, the town heard, and yeah. and, and uh, it it was interesting in how we repositioned uh, little big town into the marketplace because uh, that there was a belief amongst the industry and fans alike that those four pretty people uh, were put together uh, that that didn't happen organically organically and and nothing could be further from the truth yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they found themselves uh and and you know uh, it's a shame that uh, pretty ends up backfiring on you mm. uh, but but it did at the time so uh the first thing we did was understated everything we did visually uh, with a little big town, and it, so we could rebuild uh, the 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 perception of, of their artistry, and just focused on music. So you know that there there weren't visuals out at first, and and the visuals that that we did use were were very uh, subtle and and, and underplayed. Uh, your listeners might find this interesting in the life of this. Uh, uh, you of course know that the ending that that tag that repeats, right? Yep. Um, which is. The hook that everyone sings along to. They sing along to it in arenas today uh, when they see him perform live. There was a station in Houston that would not add the record unless that was removed. Uh, and and we never removed it. Really? We told them no uh, and stood our ground. And and, and and I'm sharing that for the same reason. you know. Wow. Don't let somebody talk you out of what you believe in your heart is the right thing. And what was the
0: hook at the end that I... It's been a long time. since. Uh, yeah, me too. I yeah, and, yeah. and I'm not a singer. Yeah, I can't yeah, sing it. But yeah, any yeah. fan
1: who knows yeah. Boondocks yeah. knows the end. That there yeah, right. there's a repeat, and, the, and each of the yeah. singers take yeah. a different part. Yeah. Uh, and it's very catchy and hooky. And uh, it it was just stunning to me. There, there's always an excuse, you know. Wow. When when we had uh, Doug Stone with his first hit at radio called uh, Pine Box, um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the hook talked about. Uh, uh, the coming home uh, the, in a pine box, wow. uh, and yeah. and there was one station that would not add the record because the one of their advertisers was a funeral director,
0: oh, wow. and, and yeah. that
1: that yeah. was their excuse. To yeah. play. There's always yeah, yeah. an excuse, yeah. uh, you know. Wow. Uh, anyone in town knows who Jeffrey Steele is yep. uh, because he's you know one of the most successful sing- uh, songwriters of all time. But before that, he was uh, the lead singer in a group called Boy Howdy, and after that. Uh, we signed him at Sony uh, on the Monument label. He was supposed to be the follow-up to Dixie Chicks. Uh, and, uh, and, and if you've never seen Jeffrey Stone, you get a chance, go. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's the most exciting live act I had ever seen at, to that point since Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he is yeah. absolutely electric. He, yeah. he had star written all over him. So his first single that uh, was supposed to come out on uh, 9-11 uh, was, was called Something in the Water. Mm. Uh, and because of 9/11 yeah. and, and, and the over. fears, mm. no one would add it. No. It had nothing to do with anything that no. happened on 9/11. Yeah. But that was that excuse, and it just imploded. Wow. Uh, so there's there's always those stories. Wow. Uh, but uh, uh, so
0: wow, yeah, that's a that's that's incredible. Well, you know, I think today that's kind of where I wanted to drive. I wanted to to talk about you know where we all start where we all end and we're not over we're just someone said to me the other day mike you know that last 25 years well now it's the last 5 years we've got to kind of figure it out from this last 5 years how it's all changed because back all all that's gone away so but i'm kind of like you there's components of everything that's never gone away and you use the word cottage and Living in a smaller environment like Australia, you had to run your business like a little cottage industry. Yeah, yeah. And, and so people would come to me after the credit crunch here and say, oh, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, business as usual. I mean, this is kind of what we grew up in in the music world in Australia because there wasn't. Someone said to me um, at one point when that CDX guy started the business here in in Nashville there was like twenty seven labels they were servicing major kind of conglomerates mm-hmm. or whatever, down to what, four are we now? Are we yeah. 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 So, you know, in at home at the largest level there was probably four. You know, the four majors. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there wasn't that many indies. There would have been a few indies, but probably not indies with a lot of money. Right. I mean, some little indies were nearly out the door and one of them um, grabbed hold of that english version or whatever of the eva cassidy record and made a few million you'd hear stories like that you know right uh, i don't know if she was ever famous here eva cassidy but uh, um she became enormous in australia due mm. to this one record And this was this woman that died of cancer and um this record appeared and ended up in millions of people's hands you know right so these little stories as we all know just pop up and blah 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 but You know, for me, um, nothing has really ever changed other than how do we help the people we love that we work with, that we think have potential. And that's really what this conversation's about, is you're passionate about somebody that you're working with that you think has got longevity. I feel the same way. I've got some artists I've I've worked with and continuing to work with where I, I love them as humans, we collaborate, you know, our blood is on it together because we're writing the song and we're developing the song. And and you always, it's, it's like planting the seed. You want it to grow and you want to see the flowers. But there's limitations, and the limitations usually the folding stuff, isn't it? Right. You know, um, how do we get through the folding stuff? And I think people have a very false perception of what social media can and can't do for an artist because of digital litter right um, you and I both probably go back to when um, Bubbly came out right when when Colby put that out on really the first ever social media platform which right. was my space mm-hmm. and I saw that I was shared it I'm sure you shared it and that was at our um, point in our lives, I think we were all like, wow, how did this happen? Right. You know, um, but there's stories behind that and who she came from and the breeding. You know, I think she was the daughter of the guy that mixed flit with Mac Records or something. I can't mm-hmm. remember the story, but there's always more than what you're fed. There's some political or powerful connections because right. you and I know there always That's has correct. to be uh, a fire starter. Yeah. And, and you've got to be able to be connected. And I think that's our job. Um, whether we're I'm a creator of the music, we're still important that we're connectors. And I think that's what you've told the listeners today is, you know, if Little Big Town didn't come into the office and you didn't hear boondocks and then they didn't come back to you, it's all connection. You know, your connection at Sony changed their lives when equity started.
1: Right. It, it did. And, and, and I, I think uh, uh, f- for, for those that are listening to this podcast that are aspiring artists, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, yes, it's valuable to have representation, to have some people around you. Uh, but uh, I, I think the most important thing you can do is, is learn to do and do as much of it as you can yourself, first of all. Uh, and, and remember one thing, that your fans are everything at the end of the day
0: yeah
1: uh, and, and, and and if there is one thing that has changed dramatically from the time I started in the business to today is the fans relationship with the with the artist that they worship. Yeah, uh, and and I'll give you an example. And and, and if there's anyone that uh, has been a client of mine, they've heard this story. But <laughs> but my my religion was Bruce Springsteen. I I thought the man was the greatest artist of all time, and he spoke to me uh, because I was living the life of of what I heard on on Wild Innocent and East Street Shuffle and Born to Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the those I'd listen to constantly, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I understood that my relationship with Bruce Springsteen was simply this, uh, whenever a new album came out, I would listen to it to death and, and accept the fact that I wouldn't hear any new material from my favorite artist for at least two years mm-hmm. and probably longer. Uh, and, and, and I would uh, worship Bruce Springsteen from afar in the audience whenever he was up on stage. You know, today, fans expect a direct one-on-one relationship uh, with uh, their artists, uh, and, and if you as an artist are not catering to that, they're going to move on to another artist. So, so that you have to understand that you know, it's just not putting stuff out on social media. Uh, you have to understand that you're trying to make a connection. And when someone responds to you, put in the time and respond back. Uh, and also understand they're not going to wait for two years. So you mm-hmm. have to feed the monster, as I yeah. call it, yeah. uh, every single week, or yeah. they're going to move on to somebody else. So whether it's you're doing a cover of an artist that you think your fans would like to hear, or use that as a way to engage artist of of the artist you're covering uh, to to to, uh, to discover you. Uh, either way, it, it's something you need to do. You, you you need to bring them on the inside of your life, uh, and and the more you're willing to do that. The more connected the, that they are going to become, mm-hmm. and you have to choose where that line is. You know that with some mm-hmm. people, it's they're never going to see my children on any social media platforms. Yeah. Uh, others that uh, they they are absolutely transparent and the, and they take you on the entire journey with them, uh, and 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 if you are an aspiring artist. Uh, Learn, learn these rules. Your, your, your social media numbers are very important. But equally important is he or she who has the most emails and phone numbers wins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, social media platforms go away. Uh, and anyone that lived through MySpace knows that. Mm-hmm. And anyone who, who really relied on Twitter... Uh, now understand that so many of those people are over on Instagram now and you have mm. to start all over again yep. uh, and, and and reconnecting with your fans. People don't change their email addresses very often at all. No. So when you're out there on the road and doing a show, make sure that there's a, a way for them to sign up and give you their email address, uh, their zip code, and and their, their phone number. Mm. And that way, whenever you're coming to town, you can use... Uh, today's technology to geo-target those fans and, and, and connect with them whenever you're doing a show in the marketplace uh, so all, all those things uh, it starts uh, you, you gain one and then you gain another but there's truly a geometric progression to that growth and if you really stick to it uh, you'll you'll come to a time where you've added a lot of zeros to that one yeah uh, from uh, to a hundred to a thousand to ten thousand to a hundred thousand and on upward and all of those things feed into uh uh, the, 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 where, where the, the money comes from these days. And, and in large part, that's streaming. Yeah. Uh, touring and streaming are, are where most of the money is for, for artists who are doing it themselves. What I do when I take on a client is, is, is uh, we build parallel paths. Uh, If they aspire to be with a major label. Uh, And we build a path to build all the things that the label's looking for. Competitive music, uh, a a vibrant touring history, uh, and good social media metrics. Uh, But the percentage of artists that want to be on a major label and end up on one uh, is... Is, is challenging, to yes. say the least. Yeah. So uh, we, we build the other path, so we're building that cottage industry. And, 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 uh, and th- then they can choose when they get to a crossroads uh, whether they want to give up a piece of their money so they can someday play stadiums or they're making so much money that they don't want to give it to a label and yeah. share it, yeah. uh, and 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 that's what today's business uh, really is about: is is making that choice. And it just depends on what you want it's at the end of the day. Best. If you're blessed enough to have the choice, uh, yeah. but but if you don't have the choice, at least you're building something that's sustainable.
0: Well, then it's your business. That's right. You know, it's funny. You know, I watched the Bruce Springsteen um, documentary on the way back in the in the plane, and. And I've always thought, you know, I, I, as you um, Born to Run, I was 15 when it came out and it just blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind. Uh, but, but before that I was a, D- a Dylan fan, always have been. And, mm-hmm. and I think the interesting thing about what you just <clears throat> said is the mystery of those artists is what's gone away today. And people that you could never communicate with, some of these artists big artists are controlling their own Instagram. Mm -hmm. And you can instant message them. Right. You can direct message them. It's astounding to think that these people, like a Reese Witherspoon, for instance, are controlling certain things. Right. And I think that the older generation, we think, oh, they can't be. But they are. Yeah. I've always been a a friend and a, a, a... Friend and a fan of guitar player out of Austin, Texas called Eric Johnson, and uh, Eric went on to selling you know over a million dollars as a million records as a guitar player and, and you know, he sings too but incredible well known guitar player and he was so shy and so introverted and so into what he was doing but these days he's he's posting and he's the videos hey I'm I'm on tour and I'm doing this and here's the new guitar Fender and I have created and think wow how far he's come along as an individual that had didn't want to have any communication with the outside world except practice learn and be the best he could at his craft right right that's all to stay in the industry and to make a living he's had to grow as a human you know and
1: well i guess the question is has he because there's certainly uh, a sense of safety uh, what when, when you're communicating via social media versus face to face so it's yeah. a it's a blessing for a shy yeah artist, yeah yeah yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because they can be more transparent and open yeah. up and 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 not fearing a reaction from the person sitting across from yeah, them yeah 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 now they just have to fear trolls yeah, yeah i yeah, guess yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's it's a whole different world isn't it i think we got somewhere mike and um so if, if People are looking to hire Mike or work with Mike. Tell them how they get hold of you. Uh,
1: you can reach me at, uh, we, we uh, our management company is called New Vision Artist Management. Uh, and, and you'll find it uh, on, on uh, we have a website, new vi- newvision.com. Uh, and you can email me at Mike at newvisionam, as in artistmanagement.com.
0: There you go. Thanks for coming over. It's another Mike Flanders podcast, and you are listening to Mike Kraske today. Thank you, and I hope you're enjoying these listens. Cheers. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm.